Hello, this is Champ 180. I'm your host, your helper and friend, Adam Childress. If you're listening and expecting a kumbaya session on what you want to hear, this may not be the show for you. We are committed to encouraging and developing champion-like individuals who desire to learn, grow, improve in the five core areas of champ. I'm real, transparent, and say what's on my mind with no fluff or puff. So listen up, because today is your day. Stay tuned. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Champ 180. Today, we'll be discussing the mind and how the brain works with identifying who we are and rehabilitation. I have with me a special guest, Naomi Hazlip. Naomi has a bachelor's in cybersecurity and information assurance and works as a threat intelligence analyst, cybersecurity investigator, and threat researcher. Her passion, though, is being a certified biblical brain rehabilitation specialist. She is currently studying to be a digestive health specialist and also has been studying neuroscience for the past couple years with a natural medicine and body for over 14 years. She has gone to some exclusive natural practitioner trainings for digestive health and diagnostics, including at the Loomis Institute for Digestive Health. In her spare time, Naomi likes to read and research, but also loves gardening, hiking, traveling, cooking, dancing, painting, and of course, being with family and friends, especially under the sun. Naomi, thank you so much for your time today and being here. Thank you. appreciate you having me. Oh, you bet. I'm looking forward to uh, picking your brain and <laughs> 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 getting more information on the, the mind and the brain. So uh, I understand you have a degree in cybersecurity, correct? Yeah, that is correct. First of all, what made you decide that field? Uh, it was kind of an interesting train of events, actually. <laughs> um, what happened was uh, I started going to uh, College of Western Idaho in um, right, right after, actually it was during high school, and um, just kind of got interested in a lot of different topics and thought, mm -hmm. okay, I'm at a community college, I'll just explore and see what I like, and um, there was this program that um, my dad actually came across, and he, he met the guy who started the program. Uh, he was a, a hacker and a, a cybersecurity expert from D.C. who had come to Idaho to build up a program and teach uh, young people how to do cybersecurity. And um, my dad thought it was really interesting and introduced me to this guy. And uh, it was a competitive program at the time. So I applied for the program and thought, oh, you know, hey, if I get in, people are on like waiting lists for years. But if wow. I get in, this, you know, it'd be interesting. I mm -hmm. think it's fun. Um, and uh, so I did. I applied and I got in and thought, oh, well, I'll try this out. And then just kind of got hooked on it. And I guess the rest is history. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I guess you're meant to, to do that. It, it's definitely fun. I like it. It's um, probably not my number one passion, mm. but it's interesting to me how uh, the skill sets that I've learned doing this have been intentional, I think. And um, I think God knew that, and I don't think I would have learned them, them otherwise. So, like, my, my skills as an analyst and my skills as a cybersecurity uh, investigator have really helped me in the diagnostic um, aspects of uh, medical research and the investigative aspect of medical research and the analysis, which is basically just the scientific process, mm -hmm. right? Um, so anyway, the skill sets go hand in hand. Okay. Interesting. That is funny how you um, you learn something, a trade or something like that, and it kind of uh, links to something else, helps you with some other topic or some other skill. 
yeah. that you're able to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Now on to the reason you are here and uh, the study of the mind and brain. The mind is a magnificent organ, and I love to study it and learn more about it. Uh, but we have, um, this is why we have you today, Naomi, to help educate our listeners with the mind and the brain function. I understand according to your bio, you have an extended amount of training on the different topics of the brain. Um, we may have to have more than one podcast for sure. So why and when did the desire to study the mind come to play? That probably started... Um, a number of years ago, um, I've been studying natural medicine for probably 14 or so years. I started studying when I was pretty young. Um, that was Dr. Beth, actually, mm. kind of got me into to studying it and being interested. So I've studied awesome. it since then and kind of noticed that there was something you know different and interesting about the brain. It's such a mystery, and I love, love mysteries. Uh, but then um, a couple of years ago, uh, my mom had a, um, a pretty traumatic um, neurological incident, and it was very stroke-like mm -hmm. and caused a lot of these symptoms um, that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and that kind of got me to researching what we can do about brain injury. And because the medical field tells us that there's really not much that you can do about it, it made me feel like, like things were hopeless, mm -hmm. but that was not the way things were meant to be. Right. And that God didn't design things to be hopeless. And our brain is amazing and resilient. And our body is intended to heal itself. And I think that God uses the analogy of himself as the head of the body mm -hmm. for a reason. And so I knew that there was more to that. So I started studying and uh, looking into a variety of different facets mm -hmm. of this study and ran across a doctor out of Colorado Springs who is pioneering this treatment that we're going to be talking about. Mm. And the way that he explained how everything was working was not new to neuroscientific research, but the treatment that he was using was brand new and very simplistic, but yet nobody had thought of it before. And so I had the opportunity to go uh, to Colorado Springs and, and get some training with him. And that's kind of what really launched my investigation into the brain and, and neuroscience just in general. Mm, okay. I'm glad you got into it because that's a definitely a good um, thing to learn, especially what you said. Um, you know, it brings hope. We talked about a little bit before the podcast how some doctors – you know, you have a brain injury and some doctors just want to give you, medicate you and to say, hey, hasta la vista, you know, wish you got better. But right. as you were saying, uh, the brain heals itself. You uh, mentioned an awesome story about, was he a doctor? He was, yeah, a psychologist. Can you uh, tell us that story about sure. um, how this doctor did surgery on his dad's brain? He did, yeah. Before I get into that, you kind of mentioned something about um, medication. Mm. That was it. Okay, medicating. So a lot of doctors right now will um, not provide hope for brain injuries because there's there's not very good methods to to treat the brain injuries. And a lot of times they're hard to identify. And we don't have, contrary to popular opinion, we don't have very detailed scans. The scans that we have today are, are very much... Uh, 
they haven't really been advanced over the past you know, 10, 20 years, like other areas of medical research. Um, so they're, they're really lacking, actually. Um, so a lot of cases, you know, people will be on medications and it causes further brain injury and it causes further brain um, trauma and mm. it causes further symptomology that uh, patients will deal with for the rest of their life because they're on this medication for a long time or it causes permanent damage. Um, so... This is something that absolutely causes hope. Like you said, it's, it's supposed to bring hope because this is something that's natural. It's something that is straightforward, not easy, but straightforward. And it's something that's doable. And it works, and it's not for the rest of your life. Mm. So absolutely hopeful. So what we were talking about before um, the podcast started about uh, this uh, psychologist uh, he actually did do a, a dissection, actually, of his father's brain after his father had died. And um, he did this to, to further the scientific research on uh, neuroplasticity. At the time, and this was in the 60s, I believe, at the time, neuroplasticity, just even the word neuroplasticity, was a dirty word. And it was um, a pseudoscience. It was ridiculous. Like, the fact that you would think about neuroplasticity as a real thing was, was crazy. And what neuroplasticity is, is basically the brain's ability to uh, subvert a function to another area of the brain. And so when, when part of the brain gets injured... Um, the brain can take a specific function and perform it elsewhere, which is, it's amazing. So that covers over a lot of uh, injuries. And we'll kind of get into this a little bit more later too. Um, so this guy, um, he, he, his father, he had a stroke um, and the stroke was devastating. The stroke caused a... Uh, professor, a, a very, very smart psychologist at the time. Um, he was very well renowned for his lectures in psychology, very forward thinking. He was brilliant. Uh, he had the stroke and it caused him to, uh, I mean, regress to about the stage of a, you know, maybe one year old. Really? Yeah. He was not able to speak. He was not able to communicate. Uh, he was not able to walk. Um, wow. he, he was just not able to function. He wasn't able to cognitively express himself at all. Uh, his, his sons, he had two sons who had followed in his footsteps and became psychologists themselves. One of the sons took the, his dad back to Mexico where they were from. He had been teaching in the States. And uh, while his son was going to school, he also took care of his father. And um, I think their last name was like Baki Rita or something like mm -hmm. that. So you can look it up. Okay. Um, anyway, they were a really interesting family. And the, the younger son took care of the father while he was in this very uh, vulnerable state and did a lot of um, cognitive therapy with him, though they didn't talk about it like that at the time. And they did a lot of physical therapy with him at the time. And a lot of it was stuff that you might do for a child to help their development that we kind of do um, without thinking about it. Um, so like 
making a child crawl, for example, is very good for their development. Um, when they cross their hands in front of their face, it actually causes um, the baby to cross over to the other side of the brain hemisphere, and it helps make makes links between between the both sides of the brain. So I'm making wow. these motions right now of crawling, and you can kind of imagine how how the hands kind of just um, cross over the hemispheres of the brain, and that actually helps the the development of the baby drastically. Um, anyway, so these types of physical therapies is what the the younger son did with his father, and he, he worked very hard to to come up with these therapies. And nobody nobody had done it before. Nobody had talked about it. Um, everybody had said it wasn't possible to recover from this kind of traumatic stroke. Um, what happened though was that their father completely regained cognitive functioning. He was able to communicate again. He was able to feed himself. He was able to start teaching again um, and everything in between. So he went back to the States and took up his classes again and taught for a number of more years. Uh, he died a while later of a heart attack and his older son did uh, an autopsy on the body and looked at the brain and the brain itself appeared dead. And it was about 3% of his brain, which appeared to have been functioning, which is incredible. 3%. Yeah, 3%. And he was able to- He did to, all that with 3% of his brain. 3% of his brain. <laughs> yeah. Probably less than that, because we only use 10%, right? I mean, that's what they used to say. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Pretty amazing. And that's the hope of neuroplasticity, right? Okay. And that's how neuroplasticity- became more mainstream. It, it started to become less of a dirty word. And in that, in that young man's lifetime, he saw neuroplasticity become something that people talked about legitimately, like it was a legitimate science. Um, and there was a lot of work that had been done before that and since, but that was a really key pivotal point in the history of um, neuroplasticity that really showed that neuroplasticity was a thing. And this young man set out to, to show that. And he did all sorts of experiments, actually, that, um, that really showed that neuroplasticity was real. And they were really revolutionary at the time. That's an amazing story, because like we talked before, it brings hope. I brought, I brought hope for um, him and his dad. Other oh, people yeah. have heard about it. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, so you know how the brain... It's got different sections in the brain. You got speech, you got memory, you got this, you know. So are you saying all that, there's reasons for those spots in that brain. Mm -hmm. So what happens in that 3%? Do they recreate those spots just very, very little, you know? It's the wonder of neuroplasticity. It's just amazing, like the, the way that God created it to to take over those functions is amazing. And and. So part of this guy's experiment, so Baki Rita's son, who, who did the autopsy on the brain, he did this experiment that um, was supposed to show that neuroplasticity was real. So he took a, a person who was blind, and they weren't just blind, they did not have eyes, physical eyes. So they weren't able to see at all. Mm. Um, and what he said was that he wanted to show that you were able to create um, the sense, the sensory input of sight for somebody who was unable to see. And that's why he chose somebody who didn't have eyes. Um, because then you couldn't argue, you know, that this person actually could right. see, right? So everybody knew this person could not see. And what he did was he created this device to uh, put sensory input on the tongue, actually use a different sense to create 
uh, the sensory input in the brain that caused the person to see. Uh, I honestly, I can't explain it. It's crazy. And you can see YouTube videos of that phenomenon actually happening. Uh, and so that was kind of evidence that you can create even, even something very specific like sensory input for sight, you can create it in a different area of the brain um, or with, with different sensory input in that case. So you're saying that uh, you're recreating or reprogramming the brain from these people that are uh, in some sense handicapped, you know, remember the, right? No eyes. He uses a tongue, whatever, to create the sensory of sight in his brain. Um, and that one guy's father, he uh, made it to where he can function normally by retraining the brain. Mm-hmm. Well, how about, this is not so much of a question for you, but I'm just thinking out loud. You and I are healthy. We can see and all that. What's to say we can't train our brain to do something? <laughs> That's a valid question. Even more. <laughs> Imagine the, the things that we could train our brain to do. Um, one of the things that I'm looking into researching right now is interactive metronome therapy, which um, is uh, kind of a physical therapy that helps your brain um, f- function more accurately with your body. Um, and what happens is that you can improve cognitive functioning this way. And my thought process is, is that if you do this for developing kids, uh, then maybe they can, they can add to their intelligence more. And there's a lot of theories of thought that, um, that you're not able to add to your intelligence. But in my opinion, that's not true at all. You can add to your intelligence. Mm-hmm. And you can add to your uh, cognitive functioning so that you can express that intelligence more um, clearly, more accurately, and um, in a way that better portrays who you are and what your intelligence is. Something like that is more like a learning thing, right? Like a lot of people have trouble learning. So there's a key in there that we can help people who have trouble learning um, or people who are are healthy already. Uh, Maybe we improve their ability to learn. Maybe we improve their ability to retain information. Maybe we improve their ability to recall information more quickly. Um, Response times, you know, none of us have perfect cognitive function, right? Yeah. All those possibilities. (laughs) There is. Holy cow. Um, I haven't even got on to my second question. See how long we're taking. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm sure the people are listening are thinking, well, maybe I can improve on this and stuff like that. And that's why all these these parents, and I'm guilty as too, because when you get very busy as a parent, uh, when you first become a parent, you know, you're kind of, obviously there's some stress levels and like newness and like, wow, what have I got myself into type <laughs> thing. But you put the kid in front of the TV for the TV to babysit your kid while you do the dishes, the laundry. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, that's, you know, oh, that's what it was. Kind of along that line, so you're allowing the, tr- the TV to train a child's brain mm-hmm. in a d- direction that you may not want it to take, you know. So if our brains are able to teach our brains, enhance our brains better, improvement, right, is positive. Well, there's a negativity, too, because we can be brainwashed as well with negativity, speaking negative, or believing a lie. Believing a behavior is okay, and we and we end up doing that, and it's not right. Like addictions, 
You know, that brain, that person's brain has been trained to do a certain thing that's not healthy for them. So they got to retrain it. So your brain, it's a, it's, it goes both sides. It's a catch-22 kind of type thing, if you know what I'm talking about. It could be. You can change it to be positive, do positive things, enhance your learning, enhance your memory. Or there's the opposite, too. Your brain's right there. It's a sponge. You can train it to do negative things. You know? Yeah, I didn't really think about it like that. Um, something that you talk about or, or that I talk about when talking about um, injury to the brain mm -hmm. is that low fuel and injury to the brain causes negative thought patterns. It causes, it causes um, very negative behaviors. And a lot of times it causes anger, and we can get into this more. Uh, but it causes a lot of these negative things. When you fix that and refuel the brain and heal this injury that happens to the brain, you, you create a situation that the brain thinks more positively. And you can see that with the way God created us. God created us to, to love us. He, he loves us just the way that we are. He created us full of worth. And he created us to know that we're full of worth because that's how he treats us. That's how he created us. And that's how we are intrinsically and inherently uh, because of the care that he took in creating us, because of the price he paid for our lives um, so that we could live, right? And so all of this is very positive. That's the positive state that we were created in. And then these things happen to us that um, uh, we call glucose limiting events mm. and that causes low fuel to the brain and low fuel causes a lot of these thought processes of um, unworthiness of worthlessness of despondency and uh, depression it causes all of these thought processes and so when you reverse that you kind of you go back and you put the brain it doesn't it doesn't fix you you're still human but it puts you in a space where the distractions are gone from you and God. There's a easier possibility of you believing God when he says, I love you exactly the way you are and you're worthy and worth every, everything I paid for you on the cross. Mm -hmm. And we're more likely to believe that in a fully fueled state than we are not. It's harder when we're not in a fully fueled state. Just uh, explain the fuel, fully fueled state. Sure. I think that's kind of a, uh, needs a little bit of backstory. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of just jump sure. into that. Um, so when we're fully fueled, think about what the brain does. The brain is uh, scanning all the time. So it's, it's looking for things that are, are wrong. It's looking at our environment to make sure we don't, you know, trip over the stairs um, or, or fall off of something. It's, it's scanning everything, right? And then what it's doing is identifying threats. Um, you know, maybe there's a foreign invader. Maybe there's, yeah. Bad relationships. They're not scanning. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. go ahead. Sorry. They're not picking up on signs yes. that things are negative. As we would, as parents or whatever. Right, because you have an outsider's perspective. Mm. Right. Yeah, so uh, that scanning can get impaired, absolutely. Um, and identifying threats can also be impaired. All these processes can be. Um, but then the next thing the brain does is obviously identifying those threats to your environment. And they can be like you're talking about, um, you know, f emotional um, from people, or it can be threats from um, 
you know, bacteria in our body. And then our, our body sends our, uh, it enables our immune system to go and gut. fight it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Gut. <laughs> yeah, so it does all of those things. So it's scanning, it's identifying in, um, threats, uh, and then it's interpreting those threats and saying, what are we going to do about it? Right. Um, and then some of those things are emotional and, uh, you know, we have to take appropriate action. And some of them are on a subconscious level where, uh, you know, we send our immune system, like the little armies of our immune system to go fight off a virus or something. Um, so it's doing those, those things. And then what it's doing is automating. So soon those four, four things, automating would be the last thing. Um, once you come to a, to a process that you've done numerous times, your brain automates it, which is amazing. That's an amazing capability that our bodies have and that our brain has, but it can also do us harm. So if you come into a thought process that you think all the time, then it becomes an automation, right? Um, And it can be positive or negative. If you start thinking, I'm such a terrible person. I, why can't I just be nice to other people? Or why do I do these terrible things or whatever? You just start thinking this automatically after a while because our brain does that. It, it makes things more efficient. It automates things once we do them a number of times. Um, so it goes through this whole process naturally. Like that's what our brain is for. That's what our brain does. That's its thing. Um, What happens when we have low fuel is that a lot of the functionality of the brain gets impaired. Mm. And I kind of wanted to describe what happens to create that situation. So I'll kind of back up a little bit. Sure, (laughs) sure. So we call them uh, glucose limiting events. And I don't want to take credit for this research. This uh, treatment, the, the research is not necessarily new. Um, the neuroscience is pretty well uh, documented, well studied. It's been around for a while. But this new treatment and the research that's going into this new treatment that we're going to be talking about is brand new and novel. And it's uh, done by a doctor out of Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs. His name is Dr. Uh, David Stevens. And he's pioneering this area of research to actually heal the brain and supplement with with glucose, which is the, the, on, the only fuel our brain actually has. Um, so what he has dubbed these uh, injuries to the brain is glucose-limiting events. What happens is whenever your sympathetic nervous system or your SNS is activated, and, and the SNS is just that fight-or-fight response, right? It's the fight-or-flight response. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can be caused by, by fear, by stress, by anxiety, uh, by chemical exposure, um, by a hit to the head, by uh, you falling your tailbone uh, in the ice. Uh, all those things enacts this uh, sympathetic nervous system response, this fight or flight response. What happens when the SNS is enacted is a situation called hyperglycolysis. What the body does is it takes glucose from the body and floods the brain with glucose. And the intent of that is just to to protect 
yourself from whatever the situation is. Maybe it's fear that has caused this response. And now you got to get out of here. You got to run or you got to fight. Um, so what it's doing is fueling a response. Mm. So it's putting all this glucose in your brain and it says, figure out what to do. You have to act fast, right? Um, and sometimes it's like a, they, they call it a tendon befriend. Um, and that's more like a, you, women are more prone to do that in a um, uh, kind of tumultuous situation. And what that is, is also enacting the SNS. So it's kind of the same kind of response, but your, your brain just decides to do something else. Okay, I can fix this situation instead of run away. Or maybe you have to decide quickly and, and actually run away or, right. fight or something like that. Um, but anyway, so the, the point is, is that the body is trying to enable your brain to figure out how to get out of this situation. Um, your brain, though, perceives this as a dangerous situation. It says, if, if the body is without glucose, it will die. <laughs> uh, this doctor, Robert, I think Lut Ludwig, Ludwig, he calls glucose the fuel of life. And that's absolutely accurate. Your, your whole entire system, all of your body systems need glucose to survive. And your brain knows this, right? So it's, it's this fight or flight response happening and you've got um, hypoglycolysis going on, this flood of glucose to the brain. And your brain says, after the fact, whoa, that was kind of dangerous. You know, we, we had all this, all this glucose in the brain and that shouldn't happen again because it could hurt the body. It could kill the body. Um, so that's a, that, that's a potentially deadly scenario, right? So what it does is there's this uptake mechanism that you regularly get glucose from. So you eat something and you digest it and then you get glucose in the blood in the form of blood sugar, right? And then it's supposed to go up into the brain and, and to the rest of the body and feed your brain. Um, so what your brain does in this situation is it dials down that mechanism. And I think it's called the glute, glute one, I believe. There's four glutes that are uptake mechanisms. And honestly, there's not a whole heck of a lot that's known about them. But the first glute will be the digestive tract glute. And that's how um, blood sugar gets into the brain from the digestive tract. Mm -hmm. And that's also what happens when the SNS or the sympathetic nervous system is um, activated. It sends glucose through that glute to the brain. And so the brain says, well, that was dangerous. Let's not do that again. And it dials down the mechanism just a little bit. And so it doesn't accept as much glucose as it would have before. And upon successive injuries or multiple injuries that happen, it dials down that mechanism more. So as hyperglycolysis happens, as your body floods the brain with glucose in what it perceives as a dangerous situation, afterwards it'll dial down that mechanism just a little bit more, and then just a little bit more, and then just a little bit more. And then you have a situation where your brain is not getting enough glucose from the food that you eat. Uh, and so you're on this trajectory of getting less and less and less and less fuel. And then your brain is in a situation where it doesn't have enough fuel. And it, it doesn't know what to do. It comes to a logical conclusion and says, okay, we're going to start defueling, uh, defueling some functionality. And, and that's kind of where neuroplasticity comes into play. Neuroplasticity kind of covers up like we had talked about, it's kind of that diversion of functions to different areas of the brain. So as it defuels 
uh, and doesn't have enough fuel for th- certain things, neuroplasticity will kind of cover over symptoms. But at a certain point, as you have more injuries to the brain and, and as that mechanism, that uptake mechanism is dialed down for glucose, uh, you can't cover over it anymore and you start to see symptoms um, and, and sometimes a lot of them. Uh, and so you're in this situation where the brain is deciding which functions to defuel. And a lot of times it'll start with the eyes, right? The eyes have all these different layers of, of visual um, functioning and, and in the brain, a seven to be exact. Uh, so it starts defueling some of those and it'll start defueling other things. Um, and it decides what is least important or what it perceives as, as least important and defuels those first. And it always fuels the brainstem first because those are the essential functions, you know, like breathing. Um, and it knows that if, if that's not fueled, if the brainstem stem is not fueled, you're going to die. Um, so anyway, it's a very serious situation. And honestly, it's happening to everybody. There are different levels of, um, of, of these uh, glucose limiting events. And some of them are very minor, um, like minor concussive events. Um, sometimes it could be just like, you know, knocking your head on, on the cabinet, um, as you bend over, right. Or as you kind of reach up to, to get something. Um, but some of them are more serious, like getting hit in the head with a, a baseball as you're, as you're playing baseball. That's a very serious concussive event. So there's different levels, but they all cause the same reaction. You said flat or fight. You're saying that the body feeds the brain glucose to because glucose is needed for your brain to function better. Your glucose is needed to function at all. The only fuel that the brain uses is glucose. It's like having a car without fuel, right? So if you, if you don't put gas in your car, mm-hmm. even if you tune up the engine and, you know, like take such good care of it, it's got beautiful tires, everything is running perfectly, it has transmission fu- uh, fluid and, and all that stuff. It's, it's a beautifully working car. Maybe it's brand new, all this kind of stuff. If it doesn't have gas, it's not going to run. And it's the same thing with the brain. If it doesn't have glucose, it's not going to run. I see. We definitely need to talk about... Um at some point in another podcast, uh, glucose foods, a little more on how that can help people uh, throughout their day or whatever, you know, function. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that the better topic is really supplementing with glucose. Mm. And that's kind of what this whole research that Dr. David Stevens is is doing, is if you supplement with glucose or dextrose, it's the same mole- uh, molecularly, um, dextrose is just from like a corn source or you can get tapioca dextrose or whatever. Um, and then glucose is, is from different sources. Um, but if you extract that, you can actually just buy glucose, uh, itself or dextrose. And I buy it in big 50 pound bags. We did that. Yep. Dextrose. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's the same thing. Um, or Smarties. Smarties. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Smarties are just dextrose and um, vitamin C, basically. That's why they're called Smarties, right? Exactly. Smarter when you eat them. (laughs) No, we're not advertising. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about that uh, at some point, health-wise, food. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned about your, uh, you mentioned about being a certified biblical brain rehabilitation specialist. What's the difference of that, of just a 
brain rehabilitation specialist? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You just heard Power of the Mind, part one with Naomi Hazlip. We look forward to hearing her next week on part two. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to the Champ 180 podcast. I really appreciate your time and tuning in. Again, this is Adam Childress, but I'd like to leave you with a few things to live by daily. And is be thankful, be kind, believe in yourself, never give up, help others, cherish family and friends, do your best, listen with your heart, laugh often, and love lots. Until next time, God bless.